What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got new music from MGK, Era, a radio rundown, and a deep dive on defining the scene's breakout bands. You can listen to the official Note to Scene radio show over at 94.3 DX in Colorado every Saturday night from 8 to 10 p.m. local time. If you want to check it out, you're not in the area, you can download the station's app, just search 94.3 DX in the App Store, and tune in this Saturday. If you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So MGK and future superstar YouTube rapper Corpse have released a collab track called Daywalker. For those who don't know, Corpse is a viral YouTube personality who first garnered a following by reading creepypastas and making visuals to go along with them. His big angle was his voice. It's incredibly low. As soon as you hear it, you're like, wait, that's his actual voice? He later got into live stream gaming, particularly the online multiplayer social deduction game Among Us. In June of 2020, he actually started uploading songs he was making to his YouTube. He's very much horrorcore a la Suicide Boys, but for Gen Z and YouTube and TikTok kids. They quickly blew up, there was a major label bidding war, and although it hasn't gone public, I'm assuming this collab means he's on Interscope. MGK is on Bad Boy through Interscope, and artist collabs usually happen when they're underneath the same label umbrella, especially when it's early on in their career, and this collab has a definite launching point vibe to it. He and Halsey also teased some sort of collab a few months ago. She's on Capital, but both Capital and Interscope are underneath the Universal Music Group umbrella. So the other big angle for Corpse is that we've never seen his face. He's done all of his YouTube videos without ever being on camera, and he's hid any social media he might have had before really well. So there's a big mystique about the kid, and he leans into that through the music. This is the first traditional industry push for a Corpse drop. Before this, it had really just been him surprise dropping songs on his YouTube channel. But this had some teasing and then a Friday midnight drop. It follows a lot of Corpse typical tropes sonic-wise, but hearing MGK in this kind of environment is actually kind of interesting. You can tell he's taking the he sounds the same on every song takes away from his pop punk album to heart because he does some things in this song that we've never really heard him do before, like an up-tempo whisper flow. He and Corpse mesh surprisingly well, but I was definitely hoping for a little bit more from this song. It kind of just feels like a pieced together, eerie, up-tempo horrorcore track. Corpse has much better songs. I mean, check out Miss You and E-Girls Are Ruining My Life if any of this has piqued your interest. Bottom line is he's going to become a huge star. Dude doesn't even have 10 songs yet, and he's got hundreds of million streams, almost 5 million monthlies on Spotify, and a rapidly growing fan base that's rabid as hell. In other new music news, metalcore band Era released a new song called Shadow Autonomous. It's the fifth single from their upcoming self-titled album, which is actually due out this Friday, March 19th, through UNFD. I've loved this band since their first full-length, Impulse, on Tragic Hero in 2011. Since then, they've gone through their fair share of lineup changes. They have old Texas in July frontman JT Cavey as their screamer now. And also label switches. They have spent a good amount of time on Sumerian following Tragic Hero and now UNFD. They were one of the first scene bands to make proggy sounding metalcore accessible to Warp Tour scene kids. Their guitarist Jesse Cash has these Kellen Quinn-esque clean vocals that carry these huge melodies, but they aren't abrasive or knee-jerky as Kellen's. 
This new single, Shadow Autonomous, is definitely the ballad off the album. It cuts in with this riff that's got a big rock radio punch, but quickly evolves into a wave of melody thanks to Jesse's emo cleans. It's definitely not representative of the album's overall sound, but damn, I'm a sucker for a ballad banger, and this is definitely that. I really do recommend Era's entire catalog for any fans of solid modern metalcore. They've gone through quite a few lineup changes over the years, like I said, and they never really got that big. Their biggest first week was, I think, 7,000 something in 2016, if I'm remembering correctly. But give them a shot if you never have before. You might like what you hear. All right, on to this week's radio rundown. Unfortunately, outside of rock, we got quite a bit of bad news this week. All Time Low drops to number 19 and is down 7% in plays on top 40. This is the second week we're dropping in plays and we're down more than double what we were from last week. It's not a good sign at all. At Alternative Radio, we're still at number four, but down over 3% in plays. We're also down from 55 to 59 on the Hot 100. This might be the end of the Monsters era. We'll see where we are next week if it can rally, but I think it's time to get out and sell on this one. MGK and Black Bear break even on Top 40 Radio at number 10, but they're down over 12% in plays on Alternative Radio, dropping from 1 to number 2. And they're down overall on the Hot 100 from 21 to 28. It might be time to get out on both of these, but this MGK one is still in a better shape than ATL, so we'll see. Nothing Nowhere's Fake Friend is down 1.5% in plays, but stays at number 18 on Alternative Radio. Mod Sun and Avril Lavigne drop from 20 to 21, but are still up over 4% in plays, so at least that's a good sign this week. And over at Rock Radio, we have much more good news. Bring Me the Horizon jumps to number 8, up over 7% in plays. We might be heading for a top 5 here as long as this momentum keeps up. And finally, Architects have broken the top 10, making Animals their first top 10 song ever at US Rock Radio. They're up over 11% in plays too, so all signs still pointing north on that one. Also, some new scene names inside the top 20 we're going to start tracking. Escape the Fates Invincible at number 15, up over 13% in plays. Black Bale Bride's Scarlet Cross at number 18, up nearly 9% in plays. And A Day to Remember is Everything We Need at number 19, up over 6% in plays. Everything A Day to Remember has submitted to Rock Radio for the Your Welcome cycle has pretty much been a complete failure. They've yet to break the top 10, which should be an easy get for them at this point. So we'll see where this family acoustic ballad gets them. All right, so the deep dive this week. I have gotten a lot of people reaching out through emails and on social media lately asking who exactly are the scene's breakout bands and what constitutes being a breakout band. I tweet a lot of numbers from the Note to Scene account, and I usually have to use a lot of clarifiers and qualifiers in order to determine what each category includes. The most common I use is non-breakout. Each year, I do an episode on the podcast where I rank the 10 biggest bands in the scene. But that doesn't include bands that have permeated the mainstream and have existed above the scene at one point or another. In the top 10 episode this year, I laid the parameters for the list. Here's what I said. The list includes bands that are still active and in the scene currently, which excludes breakout bands. Scene breakouts are Blink-182, Paramore, Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, My Chemical Romance, and 21 Pilots. Breakout means that the group has received consistent mainstream traction, including Hot 100 chartings, Top 40 radio play, multiple notable first week totals, Arena Plus venue caps, etc. 
So let's break that down. One thing I will 100% admit right off the bat here is that I'm not as savvy to sales and momentum of bands outside of the US. For example, for whatever reason, it is incredibly difficult to get numbers for UK sales. The chart numbers are published weekly, but like I've said from day one on this podcast, the actual sales numbers are what tell you the entire story. For example, A Day to Remember's Bad Vibrations debuted at number two with 67,000 total units. Travis Scott's Birds in the Trap Sing McKnight got number one that week with 88,000 total units. If Travis wouldn't have dropped that week, A Day to Remember would have had a number one album. But what paints the whole picture is the fact that 67,000 was a roughly 30,000 unit decrease, give or take a few thousand, from their previous album, Common Courtesy. So even though they hypothetically would have had a number one with bad vibes if Travis didn't drop, it was still ultimately a loss of overall momentum from Common Courtesy. So back to the UK charts. This is why it's so frustrating to not have actual numbers for full context on chart positions. Enter Shikari's last album, Nothing Is True and Everything Is Possible, was the biggest debut of their career at number two on the UK album chart. But we'd need to see the actual numbers from their other albums and that one to see whether or not they're actually growing or how much the evolution of the industry has impacted their numbers overall, etc., etc. It's so difficult to boil down these conversations into little factoid stat tweets because everything needs so much context. And this is the biggest thing. Our world wasn't brought up understanding sales numbers. You look at stand communities now and they're literally built off understanding numbers and what drives them. The industry shut us off from that back in the day. Fucking labels literally edited sales numbers out of Wikipedia pages. Sure, there were sales forums on Absolute Punk and Metal by Numbers on Metal Insider, but you had to dig for them. It wasn't part of our daily conversations. We put those bands on god-tier pedestals and let them consume our lives, eating up every little piece of them that labels would give us. Nowadays, stand communities will go at the labels if they don't think a song or album is being promoted enough. And every week, it's a race to get to the top of the Hot 100. But anyways, let's break down these breakout bands. Let's start with Blink-182, arguably the most important band in scene history. Let's talk sales here. Enema did 109,000 first week in 1999. By 2001, it was certified five times platinum in the US. For those who don't know, a gold certification in the US means 500,000 units and a platinum in the US means a million. It hasn't gotten an updated certification since 2001, so I'm curious how close it is to 10 million, which would not only make it diamond, but the first emo album of all time to ever go diamond. The only other one that comes kind of peripherally close is Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, which was certified Diamond in 2005. So Enema has sold well over 15 million units worldwide. Off of that Enema hype, Take Off Your Pants did 350,000 units first week in 2001. It is certified two times platinum in the US, and the last time that got a certification was 2002. So I bet it's more toward five at this point. Pants has sold well over 14 million units worldwide, and I mean the list goes on for Blink. Untitled did 313,000 first week in 2003. It's two times platinum and has sold over 7 million worldwide. Neighborhood still managed to do 151,000 first week, although it still hasn't sold enough to get a US certification. It did go gold in Australia. Then they came back in 2016 and had their huge moment that nobody in the industry saw coming. California did 168,000 first week and eventually went gold in the US, Australia, and Britain. 
Nine, the next album, dropped a bit, 94,000 first week, and it hasn't been certified anywhere. But here's where the context comes into play. Blink has been a band for well over two decades. This level of perseverance is nothing short of incredible, especially with all of the inner turmoil stretching over nearly all of those 20 years at this point. And they still play arenas. Arenas typically range anywhere from 15,000 to 25,000 caps, which if you're a listener of the show, you know we typically talk about House of Blues size venues and lower. So think 15 to 25 times those sizes. Blink has had seven songs break the Hot 100 in their career, with the biggest being, of course, All the Small Things at number six. Both that song and I Miss You charted in eight different countries. At their peak, Blink was literally the definition of a breakout band. And the fact that they've sustained it, even while going through a breakup and the loss of a key member later on, all the props in the world to them. All right, let's talk Fall Out Boy. Take This to Your Grave blew up. They got updrafted to Island and from under the cork treated 168,000 units first week. Sugar We're Going Down becomes their first song to break the Hot 100 and explodes into a top 10 hit, peaking at number 8. It also charted in four other countries outside of the US and has been certified four times platinum. Then they push Dance Dance as a single, which to me is one of the best one-two punch single combos in scene history. That peaked at number nine on the Hot 100, so two back-to-back top 10 hits, and is now certified three times platinum. Fast forward to 2007, and the entire world is watching Fall Out Boy. It's pure teenage pandemonium. We all know, we were all there. I was in middle school when Infinity dropped, and I remember all the popular kids in my grade and their older siblings loved Fall Out Boy. The kids who were listening to Britney Spears and Gwen Stefani in elementary school were now in love with Fall Out Boy and My Chemical Romance in middle school. So Infinity drops, and it sets the record for the biggest emo first week of all time. 260,000 units. I don't count Blink's first weeks for Pants and Untitled just because the scene barely existed at those points, which only furthers how massively important they were to the foundation of our world. To this day, Fall Out Boy's 260k has never been broken. For a minute, we all thought 21 Pilots were going to do it, but then the shit show that was Trench happened, and it's pretty safe to say Fall Out Boy's record is safe for good. But Infinity is out, and everyone is losing their damn minds over it. They got J-fucking-Z on the intro. Thanks for the memories as an all-time banger. This Ain't a Scene blows the top off everything and becomes their biggest Hot 100 hit, peaking at number two. Infinity was the perfect pop progression for a pop-punk band. No one has ever done it even close to as good as their run from Grave to Corktree to Infinity. I always thought all-time low or close was so wrong to nothing personal, but they fucked it all up on Dirty Work. So Infinity gets certified platinum in just over a month. For whatever reason, it hasn't received another certification since, but one month and it was platinum. It's definitely over two at this point. But after this, they went through the folly phase, and I'm not here to argue with the folly defenders on this. All I'm saying is that it was a commercial disappointment. It did 149,000 first week, dropping over 100,000 units from Infinity. But damn, Island still pushed this thing as hard as they could. I Don't Care peaked on the Hot 100 at 21. And then American Sweethearts, Head First Slide, and What a Catch were all way outside the top 70. Then the hiatus hit. 
which allowed for arguably the greatest comeback a scene band has ever had. The pivot into save rock and roll belongs in textbooks and should be taught in schools. The band is managed by Crush, and they perfected the rollout in nearly every way, and then did the exact same thing with Panic at the Disco, and look what happened. Panic became even bigger than Fallout Boy, but we'll get to that in a second. Save Rock and Roll not only saves Fallout Boy, but it sends them into a second mainstream era. My Songs Know What You Did in the Dark not only breaks the Hot 100, but becomes their fifth highest charting single ever, peaking at number 13. Then charts in six other countries and goes six times platinum in the US. They have two other singles from Rock and Roll Break the Hot 100, and then they drop American Beauty, American Psycho, which does 218,000 first week, and Centuries breaks the top 10 on the Hot 100, giving them their first top 10 hit since 2007. The Fall Out Boy renaissance should be preserved in the Smithsonian. After that, they went through their second folly moment with the complete shit show that was Mania, but still, the Fall Out Boy comeback was one for the history books, and the fact that they managed to come back almost as big as the mainstream force as they were a decade before, it's unheard of in the modern day of the industry. Now, this is a perfect segue for Panic at the Disco. Like I said, Panic is also managed by Crush, and they essentially mirrored Fall Out Boy's comeback. Before the comeback, Panic peaked with I Write Sins and had been on a commercial downturn ever since. I Write Sins made it to number 7 on the Hot 100, a certified top 10 smash hit. A Fever You Can't Sweat Out was unavoidable and Baroque Emo was a definitive W. But then Pretty Odd happened and we learned that a whole lot less people liked Acid Beatles Folk Emo. 9 in the Afternoon, the big follow-up to Fever, only made it to number 51 on the Hot 100, a far cry from the success of I Write Sins. After that, they didn't have a single other song from Pretty Odd Chart on the Hot 100. To date, Fever has gone platinum in five countries and three times platinum in the US alone. Pretty Odd has become more beloved as emos have grown up, and it actually has gotten a platinum certification in the US, although nowhere else in the world. And then that gave way to vices and virtues. I remember when the Ballad of Mona Lisa dropped and the people who were still around for Panic, it felt like we had a glimpse into what a proper follow-up to Fever would have sounded like. There was real backlash to Pretty Odd. It's not like people just slowly moved on from Panic. There were plenty of people who did not like that album right off the bat. But by the time Vices came around, too many people had moved on. Mona Lisa managed to break the Hot 100, but only to 89. And then Radio Silence. What happened to Panic? They put the lineup talk to rest by just featuring Brendan as the face of the band and rebranded as a cinematic Broadway pop act. It was the best move of their career. The comeback single, Miss Jackson, caught everyone's attention immediately. It broke onto the Hot 100 and made it to number 68. This is Gospel became an immediate fan favorite and also broke the Hot 100, peaking at number 87. Too Weird to Live did 84,000 units first week, which was an increase from Vices at 54,000. The Panic of the Disco reboot also needs to be taught in schools and preserved in museums. This and Fall Out Boy are the most pristine examples that the scene has of how bands evolve their sounds and become even bigger than they were during their first peak. Fall Out Boy didn't quite become bigger than their mid-2000s run, but Panic did. Death of a Bachelor did 190,000 first week in 2016, and then Pray for the Wicked did 180,000 in 2018 and gave them high hopes, which became the biggest single of the band's career. 
High Hopes peaked at number four on the Hot 100, a top five smash hit, and has been certified five times platinum in less than three years. The next Panic album is going to be so much fun to track. All right, who do we have left here? Paramore and 21 Pilots. Let's do Paramore first. So I could do an entire series for Paramore's deep dive. I don't want to get into it right now because I'll be here for hours trying to unpack just how they started and who was signed to what contract and what their initial goals were and, and all of that that had to deal with Paramore's conception. So we're just going to run through their numbers. All we know is Falling was their Take This to Your Grave. No huge hits, but it snowballed the momentum that set them up for their cork tree moment, which was Riot. And Riot was massive. It sold 42,000 units first week and exploded from there. Misery Business peaked at number 26 on the Hot 100, so it wasn't a top 10 smash, but it quickly became their biggest song and remains their biggest to this day, boasting a four times platinum certification and chartings across five separate countries. Crush, 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 and That's What You Get also broke the Hot 100 and quickly became fan favorites. Both songs are now platinum and led their momentum into Decode, which was a huge song for the band. It was made for the Twilight soundtrack, and that track peaked at number 33 on the Hot 100, furthering their consistency on the chart. That song is double platinum in the US, by the way, now. Then, Brand New Eyes screamed onto the chart with a massive 175,000 unit first week. This was huge. The lead single, Ignorance, was a dark, cutting, nearly post-hardcore track that was really gutsy as the lead single, but it managed to peak at number 67 on the Hot 100. Then they pushed the only exception as a single, and it became their highest charting Hot 100 hit at number 24, beating out Misery Business. That song is also double platinum. Then we had Monster, which was on a Transformers soundtrack. It peaked at number 36 on the Hot 100. It became a low-key hit that I feel like not a lot of people remember nowadays. Then came a ton of member drama with the exodus of the Pharaoh Brothers and the exposing of the major label plant that is Paramore, yada, yada, yada. We'll unpack all of this in the deep dive. Haley Williams doubles down and fires back at all of this with the biggest moment of Paramore's career, their self-titled album. It wasn't easy going from the start, though. The first single was Now, and it completely flopped, never even breaking the Hot 100. But then they pushed Still Into You, and it took off like a rocket ship, peaking at number 24 and tying the record for their highest charting song at that point. And then we arrive at Ain't It Fun, the biggest commercial moment of Paramore's career. The Grammy-winning track gave them their first and only top 10 hit, peaking right at number 10. It is now three times platinum. But then we had After Laughter, which was a commercial misstep. It did 67,000 units first week, nearly 40,000 less than self-titled. The lead single Hard Times was the only track to break the Hot 100, and it just barely made it, peaking at number 90. They pushed six other songs from After Laughter as singles, and none of them broke the Hot 100, and the album has yet to even be certified gold. But still, Paramore absolutely maintains its status as a breakout band. As of their most recent tour routings, they're still playing arenas in and outside of the US. The next album will be interesting to see if they can revive any sort of commercial trajectory. All right, last one, 21 Pilots, the last band to ever truly break out of the scene. They signed a Fuel by Ramen in 2012 after building some regional hype and drop an album called Vessel. No singles break the Hot 100, but tracks like Car Radio and House of Gold become fan favorites and snowball a wave of momentum that led to Blurry Face, which was their breakout moment. The album sold 147,000 units first week and debuted at number one. 
fueled by pushed fairly local Terran My Heart and Lane Boy, all before finally falling on the gold mine that was stressed out. Stressed Out peaked at number two on the Hot 100 and charted in seven countries. It is now eight times platinum. Again, this is the definition of a breakout hit, but now it comes down to, are you gonna be a one hit wonder and only have a breakout moment, or are you going to become a breakout band? 21 Pilots became a breakout band. They leveraged the momentum they had from the click and sent the next single ride to number five on the Hot 100, giving them back-to-back -to -back top five smash hits. Ride charted in seven countries as well and is now six times platinum. Then we had Heathens, the post-Blurry Face era smash that again peaked at number two, giving the band their third breakout hit song. It is now seven times platinum. And it was during the Blurry Face era that there easily became an arena band in and out of the US. The live event demand for this band was reminiscent of the breakout bands from the mid-2000s. Unfortunately for the scene, this was the only breakout band of the last decade. Trench was another after laughter story that we'll eventually unpack on the 21 Pilots dive somewhere down the road. But the point of all of this is an attempt to show how massive these bands are and how many leagues above they are of the bands in the scene now. And since I know quite a few people are going to ask valid questions like past scene breakout bands and peripheral breakouts of yesteryear, I'll break down a few right now. For example, bands like Good Charlotte, Sum 41, The Used, Taking Back Sunday, etc, etc. All of those bands had breakout moments and were even breakout bands at one point. But when it comes to the entertainment world and maintaining stardom, what goes up almost always comes down. The ones that don't come down, Blink-182, Panic at the Disco, those are the true superstars. Them and their teams deserve all the credit in the world, because if you think getting to superstardom is hard, maintaining it is even harder. And at that point, you're looking beyond at the biggest bands and acts of all time, your Eminems, your Metallicas, your Mariah Careys. But let's take Taking Back Sunday, for example. In 2004, they did 163,000 units first week. In 2006, they did 158,000. Make Damn Sure broke out in the top half of the Hot 100. They were playing arenas. And in 2011, they did 27,000 first week. And it's been over for more than a decade now. They were a breakout band, but they couldn't maintain it. Let's talk a breakout moment band, the Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Don't You Fake It was everywhere. Face Down, Your Guardian Angel, shit, even False Pretense. Everyone was listening to that album. Face Down broke out and peaked at number 24 on the Hot 100. That was a hit. The album eventually went platinum. But the next album, Lonely Road, tanked, and they self-imploded after that. Never commercially relevant again. How about Flyleaf? Their self-titled album cover was iconic back in the day because it was in the front of every CD shelf and every fucking Walmart and Target across the country. All Around Me peaked at number 40 on the Hot 100, and the album eventually went platinum. What happened after that? Well, they wrote a damn good album called Memento Mori, but it wasn't the album they needed to stay commercially relevant, and after that, they never were again. These are breakout moments. Bands like the All-American Rejects were breakouts, but they just didn't maintain that status. And then you have a band like Gym Class Heroes, who literally just stopped during the biggest moment of their career, which is why it's so exciting to see them having a viral moment on TikTok right now that's skyrocketing their streams. But they had multiple breakout hits. Cupid's Chokehold and Stereo Hearts both peaked at number four on the Hot 100. 
and then they just couldn't keep it together internally. Now, I know the big name I left out throughout all of this is My Chemical Romance. I have just put way too much time into this episode and need to just get it out, but yes, they were obviously a breakout band and somehow became even bigger in death. They are the only band from the scene like this on the level that they are, so it's a complete anomaly. Can they have a breakout hit if they decide to release new music again? The deck is stacked completely against them, to be honest, but stranger things have happened, so we'll see. Listen, I know this episode was a lot of data vomit, but I hope it cleared up some questions that any of you had about what constitutes as a breakout band. I know there's a lot of debate now about whether or not Bring Me is a breakout band at this point. They're close. Obviously, they essentially are over in the UK, although they haven't had a top 10 hit over there yet either. They're still leagues away in the States though, which again, just goes to show how the bands that have broken out of the scene and sustained that success are truly special. Bottom line is we still need to see more from the bands in the scene right now, i.e. bring me an all-time low, before we can consider them breakouts. Again, I hope this cleared the air a bit, and if you have any questions, comments, critiques, whatever, i love to hear it. Hit me up on email at notetoseen at gmail.com or on Twitter. I only really do this stuff at night, so if I don't get back to you, I do apologize, but I really do hope we're creating more awareness about the numbers behind your favorite bands. The industry tried to keep it from us this whole time, but now we can take that power back. Thank you so much for listening this week. Follow Notusine on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.